All right, well, we're there in uh, Matthew chapter 24. And of course, this is a very well-known uh, passage known as the Olivet Discourse, where the Lord Jesus Christ uh, goes through and explains uh, the end times prophecy and the chronology of end times prophecy. And tonight, we're, we're probably going to go through about 30 or 31 verses, and we'll deal with the rest of the passage next week. It's just such a long chapter, and we want to make sure we don't rush through it. Uh, but if, if you look at verse 1, let me start off with something that... It uh, doesn't really have to do with end times, but just something interesting. And this would be a good note, by the way, for you to take notes. If you have a pen in your bulletin on the back of the, uh, of the course of the week, there's a place to put some sermon, uh, for sermon notes. So uh, if this is something you're interested in, uh, I'll give you a lot of cross-references to look at. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the building of the temple. So the disciples are showing Jesus the temple, and they're you know, asking him you know, these questions. Look at verse 2. He says, and Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things? And they're, they're telling Jesus how impressive this temple is and this building. And Jesus says in verse 2, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And like I said, just quickly before we get into end times prophecy and all these things, Jesus here gives a prophecy of the destruction of the temple. He says that, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And we know from history that the temple was destroyed in uh, 70 AD by a man, a Roman emperor named Titus, came into Jerusalem and destroyed uh, that temple. And that's just very well-known historical fact. Now, the reason that that's important, and I want to just highlight it for you, is because here Jesus prophesied that the temple was going to be destroyed. And nowhere in Scripture, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation or the right of Paul or anything like that, does anybody mention the fact that that prophecy was fulfilled? And that would have been a big thing in Jerusalem for the temple to be destroyed. That would have been something that every, everybody who lived in Israel would have been aware of. And the fact that no writer in the New Testament uh, tells us that that prophecy was fulfilled by Christ shows us that all of the writings of the New Testament were done by 70 A.D. So 70 years after the birth of Christ, the New Testament was basically completed. And that's important for a reason, because the scriptures were written so close to the time and the event in which they took place. You know, people try to say, oh, well, you know, uh, these things were written down hundreds of years after the fact and they were made up. But the truth is that they were written relatively close to the time frame in which they took place. And there were many witnesses to these things. And and for men like Matthew and, and Mark and Luke and John and Paul to write down false things about what actually happened, there would have been so many witnesses alive at that time, they would have ended this movement of Christianity. So the fact that these men wrote these letters and there were so many people alive to be able to say, yep, that's what happened. That's exactly what they did to Jesus. Yeah, I was there when he, uh, when he fed the 5,000. Just proves that our Bible is uh, exactly what it says it is. And just kind of an interesting thought there. But if you look at verse number uh, 3, the Bible says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying... Now notice what they ask him. So, so he gives a, a prophecy about the end of the temple and the destruction of the temple. And this gets the disciples kind of thinking about prophecy in general. And they ask Jesus... Three questions, and I want you to notice the questions that he, they ask in verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, this is why it's called, you know, referred to as the Olivet Discourse, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us. Now notice, question number one, when shall these things be? And, question number two, 
what shall be the sign of thy coming? And question number three, if, if you'd like to consider it a separate question, or you can connect it to the second question of the end of the world. So basically they ask, when shall these things be? And what is going to be the sign of thy coming and a sign of the end of the world are the questions that they ask. Now today we are taught that nobody can know, you know, when these things are going to be. And today, most Christians believe there are no signs to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, when they asked him the questions, Jesus did not rebuke them by saying, hey, no one can know that, you know, it's, it's a secret, it can happen at any moment. Notice verse 4, the Bible says, and Jesus answered. What did he answer? He answered their questions. They asked, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? What's going to be the sign of the end of the world? And Jesus proceeds to answer their question. Notice, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. So the, the whole point, the, the, the reason that we have what's known as the Olivet Discourse is because Jesus went ahead and answered these questions. When shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So for someone to say, say to you, there are no signs and no one can know, would go against what Jesus is going to give us for the next 51 verses or so, you know, about the fact that the, the whole... Olivet Discourse, this whole sermon preached to his disciples is Jesus answering these three uh, questions to the disciples. Now, for those of you that are taking notes, I just want to explain because, you know, I, I try to be very careful with, with prophecy because it seems to be that people just easily get confused about these things and I want to try to do my best to not confuse you. My job as a preacher is to take things that are complicated and make them simple for you to understand. Now, most preachers take things that are simple and make them complicated and that's not what we want to do tonight. So for those of you who are taking notes, I want you to understand um, there seems to be uh, kind of three parts to, to how Jesus taught this uh, lesson. And, uh, you know, I'm not, it's, it's not a hard fact or anything like that, but it, it seems to be divided into three sections. The first section is what he refers to as the beginning of sorrows. The second section is what we call the tribulation or what he called the tribulation. And the third section is what's referred to as after the tribulation. So if you're taking notes and you kind of want to outline them so it's easier for you to understand, uh, the first section we're going to look at is what's known as the beginning of sorrows. Now, the reason I say that is because I'm often asked by people, do you believe that we are in the tribulation period or do you believe that we're in it right now? And the truth is, I don't know that we'll really be able to know that we are in the tribulation period till we get into what's known as the great tribulation. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But I do believe if we're in any of it, that we're in the what Jesus considers the beginning of sorrows. And we may not even be in that. I don't know. Uh, but if we're in any part of what Jesus is calling, if we're living through any part of this, it would be uh, what, what Jesus calls the beginning of sorrows or the first four seals. Now, keep your finger there in Matthew 24. And go with me to Revelation chapter number 6. Revelation chapter number 6. And what we're going to do, on Sunday night we uh, studied... Isaiah chapter 19, and we saw how Isaiah 19 had all these end-time prophecy. Isaiah 19 is almost like the Matthew 24 of the Old Testament, and we compared that to Matthew 24 and, and brought out a bunch of highlights about that. Today, we're going to look at Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter 6. Now, here's what you need to understand, okay? Revelation chapter 6, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1 is where you begin prophecy. Up until then, there is no prophecy really being uh, told by John. 
We have, you know, in the first three chapters, we have messages to the seven churches. And in chapters four and five, we get a view of heaven and we get to see the throne of God and all those things. But in chapter six is where the prophecy actually begins in the book of Revelation. So, uh, you know, there are those who believe and at our church, we are we, we do not take the pre-tribulation rapture position. The pre-tribulation rapture position is what most, uh, you know, Christians, I would say, uh, believe. And, and that position teaches that. Christians will be raptured or will be caught up out of the world before the tribulation begins. There's a movie that came out, well, it came out a long time ago, and they, they, they redid it called Left Behind. And, uh, you know, that movie teaches the position that the rapture is, kind of, is, is just going to happen. People are going to disappear. People are going to be wondering, you know, what happened? Where did they go? And, and, and Christians will be raptured out of, uh, before the tribulation. At Verity Baptist Church, we do not take that position. We believe that Christians will go through the tribulation. Uh, however, we do not believe that Christians will go through what the Bible refers to as the wrath of God or the pouring out of God's wrath upon the earth. The Bible is very clear that the tribulation and the wrath of God are two different things, two different events. And we'll look at it here closely. But what I want you to see uh, in Revelation chapter 6 begins what's known as the tribulation time. And it's outlined for us in Revelation chapter 6, um, through these seals that are being opened. And as the first seal and the second seal and the third seal, and there are seven seals that get opened. And it kind of serves as an outline. And I want you to notice that as you go through the seals in Revelation chapter 6, they match perfectly the sermon that Jesus taught in Matthew 24. Uh, for those of you, this is very uh, familiar material, but maybe you can uh, take some cross-reference notes so you can have it available to be able to teach others also. For some of you, this may be new, uh, but look at Revelation chapter Six. So keep your finger. Here's what I'm trying to say. We're going to go back and forth from Revelation 6 to Matthew 24. So make sure you have one finger in Revelation 6, one finger in Matthew 24. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says this. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Now the Lamb is Jesus Christ up in heaven. He opens one of the seals. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. Now, now, now again, for those of you, uh, for anybody who takes the pre-tribulation rapture position, meaning that the rapture is the first thing that will happen to kick off end times prophecy. My question that I have for you is this. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1 is where prophecy begins in the book of Revelation. So if the, tri- if the rapture was the first event in end times prophecy, then it should happen right here because here's where prophecy begins in the book of Revelation. But notice what happens when they open the first seal, verse 2. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. And a, crow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now you need to understand this. This is not Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear when Jesus Christ shows up on this earth in Revelation 19 and different passages. You know, he comes with power and great glory. But here we have a man who is wanting to impersonate Jesus Christ. Because we know that Christ will come on a white horse. And here comes this man on a white horse. And he, sat, and he, that, and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown. So he's some sort of a leader, leadership position given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now look, Jesus is not going to come on this earth and, and begin to conquer lands and try to conquer the kingdom. Jesus opens his mouth and wins the battle when he shows up to this earth. So this man is going forth. He's given a crown. 
A, a crown was given unto him. No one's going to give a crown to Jesus. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. This man will show up and he's given a crown. He's given a bow and he's going out conquering and to conquer. So in seal number one, we have a false Christ who appears. Now, if you go back to Matthew 24, look at verse 4. Matthew 24 and verse 4. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed. The, the, the phrase take heed means pay attention. That no man deceive you. He says, why, why, don't, why doesn't he want us to be deceived? Here's why. Verse 5. For. The word for means because. He says, because many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. And shall deceive many. So notice, when Jesus teaches on the subject, he says, hey, the first thing that's going to happen is many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. They're, they're liars, they're impersonators. Don't be deceived by them. And when we compare that to Revelation chapter 6 and the first seal is open, what do we have? An imposter show up. A person that's trying to be like Christ. A white horse. So you need to understand, and this is the Antichrist. And the first event to kind of kick off what we consider end times prophecy is this Antichrist showing up on the scene. Now, here's what you got to understand. At this point, no one will, I don't believe anybody will really know this is the Antichrist. He'll just be a political leader who's raising up, you know, in power and taking over uh, the world. He's going forth conquering and to conquer, but he will show up. You know, does the Antichrist, is the Antichrist around even now? He could be, I don't, I don't know. Uh, look at, go back to Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 3. Look at seal number 2. Revelation chapter number 6 and verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, so we're, here we have the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. Now remember, the first horse was a white horse. This is a red horse. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and, they, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So seal number one is opened in verses one and two of Revelation chapter six, and it matches verses four and five of Matthew 24. We have someone coming and deceiving and saying, uh, acting as if he is Christ. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we have seal number 2. And here's what happens when seal number 2 is opened. Peace is removed from the earth. Do you see that? They take peace from the earth that they should kill one another. Now notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 6. Matthew 24 and verse number 6. The Bible says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Why? Because peace is taken from the earth, that they should kill one another. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, and that ye uh, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. So notice how Jesus' uh, sermon on the mount uh, goes exactly with the outline given to us in the book of Revelation. The first thing is a false Christ appears. The second seal, peace is removed from the earth. And Jesus says, with that, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And by the way, the Olivet Discourse uh, is also found in Luke 21 and Mark 13. And there are parallel passages to this. We're not going to take the time to look at all those passages uh, just because it would take too much time. We're studying Matthew. Uh, when we're in Luke, we'll look at it in Luke. And when we're in Mark, we'll look at it in Mark. Uh, but... but uh, 
There, those passages are there, Luke 21 and Mark 13, and they're basically the exact same outline, so uh, you can study that out on your own as well. Go back to Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 5. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 5. The Bible says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. So we had a white horse, we have a red horse, and now we have a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hands. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and wine. So we have this uh, third seal open, and we have uh, this black horse show up, and the rider has a pair of balances in his hand. So the balance is used to to weigh things, to figure out what the cost of something. You go to the grocery store and you buy a certain amount of vegetables, certain amount of fruits, you put them on a scale, you see how much it weighs, and they charge you based on that weight. In verse 6, the Bible says, And I heard the voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and wine. Now, a measure of wheat and three measures of barley would be, if you look at it in Scripture, it would be the regular amount of food that an individual would go and purchase, you know, at at a store, you know, in our case, a grocery store or something like that. But if you remember... Remember a few weeks ago when we were studying Matthew chapter number 20? Remember where uh, we preached through that parable of the laborers in the vineyard? Remember we talked about the different, where the master, the, 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 the Lord of the house, the good man of the house, he went out at 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. And, and noon and, and 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. And, and he found the workers? Remember, he offered the first group a penny for 12 hours of work. And they agreed to it. So that it was a good wage. So a penny in scripture at this time in context would be what we would consider, uh, you know, what an individual would get paid for working out in a field uh, for 12 hours. You know, it, it's, a, it's a full day's worth of work. And here the Bible is telling us that they're selling a measure of wheat or three measures of barley for what you would earn for a 12 hour day. So the cost of Food has increased. When you balance out, you're getting a a small amount of food for a large amount of money. Now, of course, we know what causes food, uh, you know, uh, to be increased in amount. Well, if you go to Matthew 24, if you look at verse 7, Jesus answers the question for us. Matthew 24 and verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. You see that? There shall be famines. So obviously, when there's a famine... You have less food, so the food you have costs you more. And we talked about it on, on uh, Wednesday, or when, today's Wednesday night. On Sunday night, we talked about the fact that uh, a lot of these famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places could even be man-made uh, because there are lunatics in our society that want to play God and are trying to mess with uh, the weather and trying to, you know, control the weather. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 7. And when he had opened the fourth seal, When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. So now we have the fourth seal open, and basically we're told about just mass 
death, death on a large scale. Uh, the fourth part of the earth is given over to these people, uh, to this writer, to kill with the sword, to kill with hunger, to kill with death, uh, to, to, and with the beast of the earth. I mean, they can use animals to attack people, and it's basically mass death. And that's what Jesus is referring to in Matthew 24 and verse 7. If you look at verse 7 again, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And that's the key word there. Diverse means a variety or, uh, or different places. It's not that there's earthquakes. It's not that there's pestilences. It's not that there's famines. But they're in places, they're in diverse places, places you've never had earthquakes before, places you've never had these type of things happening. And that's why, you know, we kind of lend to believe that, that it's probably man-made things. It's not uh, as natural as it may seem. Now, if you look at verse 8, we kind of end that first section. Notice what Jesus said. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So the first four seals of Revelation chapter 6 are... As Jesus explained them, he kind of encompassed them in this idea of this is just the beginning. It's going to get worse. There's the beginning of sorrows. And like I said, uh, you know, from verses 4 through 8, we have the section of the beginning of sorrows being ended. Uh, and, and like I said, if I personally, my belief is that if, if we're living in the end times, we are living in this beginning of sorrows uh, section. But I, I'm, I don't know that we are even living in, in the end times. Obviously, things will get worse and worse as we go, as we go forward. So I, I just want you to understand, this section that Jesus kind of calls the beginning of sorrows encompasses Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8, for those of you taking notes, Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and it's the first four seals of of the end times there in Revelation chapter 6. In, in verse 9 of Matthew 24, we transition into what's called the tribulation. And, and keep in mind, the beginning of sorrows can be, call, can be called the tribulation. I don't have an issue with calling it that either. I mean, the whole thing could be called the tribulation. But here's uh, where Jesus kind of begins to talk about tribulation because the word tribulation refers to like affliction or persecution. And here's where those things actually begin. If you look at verse 9 of Matthew 24, the Bible says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. The word afflicted means to cause pain. And shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So notice, today we have persecution. Christians are being persecuted in the Middle East. Christians are being persecuted in China. Christians are being persecuted all over, uh, all over the world. But at this time, there, there will be a persecution that all nations, you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. Let me say this. Our society is being trained. And we are being trained by our society, by our government. And especially kids that go to these government schools, these public schools. I'm not beating up on you if your kids go to public school system. But you need to understand this. There is a brainwashing going on by our society today. The media, government education, you know, uh, where we're being taught to just be like this snitch uh, type society. And we're being taught to be more loyal to the government than we are to our own family and friends and neighbors. And you need to understand this. Uh, you know, we should not, obviously, we should be against people, you know, breaking the law. I'm a, you know, if my neighbors, and my neighbors don't do this, but if my neighbors were growing pot, you know, obviously I'd be against that. 
but I'm not going to call the cops on them. But you know, today we're being taught and kids are being taught in school. You snitch on your friends. You tell. And it's leading to this idea and to this uh, society. Look at verse 10. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And, and we're being led up to this society where, oh, you're a Christian? And they call someone. You know, because this is how it's going to be. We're going to be betrayed by even, and in other passages it tells us that we're betrayed by our own family and our own loved ones. And it's the society that we live in. Look at verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The, the, the love, the bonds between neighbors and friends is going to wax cold because iniquity shall abound. Verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, a lot of people like to take this verse and, and take it out of context to, to you know, try to prove a work salvation. And they'll say, see, the Bible says you got to endure unto the end um, in order to be saved. Now, look, when you study scripture, you must study scripture in its context. You cannot just take a verse out of context and, and they'll say, see, it says, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Okay, but that word saved there is used throughout scripture in many different facets. Sometimes it's talking about your salvation, talking about, you know, spending eternity in heaven and not going to hell. You know, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's referring to the fact that you'll be saved from the lake of fire. But in the Bible, there are other times when the word saved is used. It's not talking about what you and I would consider the doctrine of salvation. Remember when Peter uh, was, you know, walked on water and he got scared and he began to sink? He looked up at Jesus. He said, Jesus, save me. Was that the moment that Peter got saved? He got born again? No, he's asking Jesus to rescue him from drowning in the water. And here we're told, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. The context is about being saved physically from the coming persecution. If you endure unto the end, if you're able to make it to the end. And later in the passage, he'll talk about the fact that it's a salvation of your flesh. So you can't take this verse out of context and say, see, you got to endure unto the end. And if you quit on Jesus, if you quit on church, you'll lose your salvation. That is not intellectually honest. To use that verse in that context because that's not the context which it's in. It's talking about you're, you're going to be afflicted. They're going to kill you. You're going to be hated. But if you endure it to the end, you'll be saved. Now notice, go back to Revelation chapter 6. Look at verse 9. In Revelation chapter 6, remember we had the first four seals opened of the book of Revelation. Jesus referred to that as the beginning of sorrows. In Matthew 24 and verse 9, he begins to talk about this persecution, this affliction, and that corresponds to the next seal in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. The Bible says, and when he had opened the fifth seal, so notice the fifth seal is open here. What happens when he sees the fifth seal? I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, Holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were uh, should be fulfilled. So I want you to notice this. The fifth seal is open, and immediately the souls of them that were slain for the word of God appear in heaven. In Revelation chapter 6, 
Why does that happen? Well, it happens because of what we just talked about in Matthew 24, 9. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations and, and you're going to be dis- betrayed one another and they shall hate one another. And, and if you endure until the end, your flesh will be saved. But they're killing Christians at seal number five. All of a sudden, there's all these souls in heaven. Here's what you got to understand. Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13 kind of give us a earthly view of the tribulation period and revelation chapter 6 kind of gives us a heavenly view of the tribulation period in revelation 6 we're seeing it from heaven's perspective all of a sudden all these souls show up in heaven that were killed they were slain for the word of god and for the testimony which they held and and on earth though what's going on is that people are being afflicted and being persecuted and being put to put to uh death and uh they're being killed now If you go back to Matthew 24, look at verse number 15. The tribulation period is kind of divided even itself into kind of two sections. You have the beginning of the tribulation, uh, the beginning of the persecution, where people start dying, people start start being killed. But notice there's a transition in verse 15. The Bible says, When ye therefore shall see... The abomination of desolation. If you'd like to take notes in your Bible, you don't mind writing your Bible, I would underline that phrase, abomination of desolation. He says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now here's what he's going to begin to tell us. He's going to begin to tell you, to, to say, hey, there's a tribulation coming, there's a persecution coming, there's an affliction coming, but it doesn't seem, uh, even though it's all nations are kind of getting gathered, it doesn't seem to be as widespread or maybe it hasn't gained its momentum as, as much as you and I would think because he hasn't told us to leave our houses yet. He's just saying, hey, try to endure, try to make it. Some of you are going to die, some of you are going to be headed, but just try to make it till the end and you'll be saved. But when he, see, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, he's about to tell you to run to the hills. He's about to tell you to not even go back home. Don't even go back for your coat. Just leave town. Just get out of town. And we are to do that when we see the abomination of desolation. And I believe that the only time that we will for sure know, we will know, we are in the tribulation. This isn't just Adolf Hitler. This isn't just Napoleon. This isn't just Joseph Stalin. This isn't just some other crazy person trying to take over the world. This is the Antichrist. This is the tribulation. This is it. It will be when we see the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So the question is this. What is the abomination of desolation? Now a lot of people believe that the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist. And I don't take that position, and I'll show you why. I don't think that's horribly off the mark. But let me uh, show you what I believe the abomination of desolation is. Uh, go to Mark chapter 13. And, and we're, I'm just going to show you one thing in Mark. Remember, Mark 13 is, is the parallel passage of the Olivet Discourse uh, in Matthew 24. And one of these days, when we preach through the book of Mark, we'll study it from Mark's perspective. But I want you to just notice one thing about the abomination of desolation in the way that Mark uh, describes it. Mark chapter 13 and verse number 14. Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter 13 and verse number 14. The Bible says, But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now, in Matthew 24, 15, he says this, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. And when you read those words, stand in the holy place, 
it kind of makes it sound like it's an individual, the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, and he's standing in the holy place. But notice what Mark says about it. Mark 13, 14, he says, But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, notice what Mark says. He says, Stand where it, do you see that word it? He says, Stand where it ought not. Let him that readeth understand, let them that be in Judea flee to, unto the mountains. Now, if the abomination of desolation was an individual, Mark would not use this word, it. He would say, stand where he ought not. But he uses this word, it, because I believe the abomination of desolation is not a person, but an object. It's not an individual, but it's a, it's a thing. It's an it. Now let me show it to you even further. Go with me to Daniel. Because remember, Matthew 24 and uh, Mark 13 tell us the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So Daniel's the one who taught us about it. So let's see what Daniel says. If you go to the Old Testament, if you can find Isaiah, you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then you got the book of Daniel. If you can find those big books towards the end of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, and then you got Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter number 11. Daniel chapter number 11. One of these days we'll preach through the book of Daniel and we'll study it out through Daniel's perspective as, as well. Daniel chapter number 11, and look at verse number 31. Daniel chapter number 11, and look at verse number 31. The Bible says, An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice. Now notice this, all right? And they shall place the abomination that make it desolate. Do you see that? Now again, Daniel refers to the abomination of desolation or the abomination that maketh desolate as an object, not a person. Because he says they're going to place the abomination that maketh desolate. He says, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Let me show you another example. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Look at verse number 11. These are the two times the abomination of desolation is spoken of in the book of Daniel. We'll look at both of them. Daniel chapter 12. Look at verse number 11. Daniel chapter number 12 and verse number 11. The Bible says, Daniel 12 and verse 11, And from the time of the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate, notice this, word, this, this wording, the abomination that maketh desolate set up. Do you see that? The abomination that maketh desolate set up. There shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days, referring to the three and a half years. Okay, so Daniel tells us that they shall place the abomination that makes it, make it desolate. Daniel tells us that they're going to set up the abomination that make it desolate. Mark tells us that they're going to stand it where it ought not. All right. So it seems to indicate that this abomination of desolation is not as much a person as it is an object. So the question is this, if it's not the Antichrist, then what is it? Go to Revelation chapter 13. We got to do this quickly because I'm running out of time and you guys all need pie. Revelation 13, <laughs> at least I do, I don't know about you. Revelation 13, uh, look at verse number one. Revelation 13 and verse one. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. Now, here's what you got to understand. The book of Revelation is divided into two parts. The first 11 chapters uh, give us a chronology of the end times. We saw it there in chapter 6. Uh, it fits perfectly with the chronology that Jesus gave us. In chapter 12, we begin again with Jesus Christ's birth. 
And by the time we get to chapter 13, we are reading again the time period known as the tribulation. And we'll see it because we'll see the persecution of the saints. Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation, we're given the, the chronology of end times two different times. And you can study those together and, and they make a lot of sense. Revelation 13, look at verse 1. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. The Bible says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast. Now the beast is the Antichrist. That's what he's called in the Bible, in, in the book of Revelation. Rise up out of, in Daniel 2. Rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. He's not, that's not literally what he looks like. Where He's using, you know... Uh, metaphors and, and all these things represent different things about his kingdom and his power. Look at verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, I don't have time to give you the cross-reference, but the dragon is Satan in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's, it's Satan, and you can study that on yourself on your own. The dragon, which is Satan, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So notice, how does he get? How does this beast become powerful? How does he get his authority? He gets it through Satan. Remember, on Sunday night we we're talking about these. Uh, they're going to. There's going to be a revival of the occult. They're going to go back to wizards, and they're going to go back to witchcraft. And I know you think it's just a funny little game, and you think it's just a little movie called Frozen, and you think it's just a little movie called Harry Potter, and it's just a good time. But the Bible is very clear about the fact that witches are real. Uh, the occult is real, Satan is real, demons are real, and it's not something we ought to play with, and it's not something we ought to watch and, and, and you know, think it's funny. Because the Antichrist will be a satanic man that is given power by the dragon and his seat and great authority. Look at verse 3. And I saw one of his... Heads. Now, the his there is the Antichrist. Now, I want you to notice this, because remember, the Antichrist is an imposter. And by the way, Satan is an imposter. Satan wants to take everything that God has and, and imitate it. That's why we have all these false perversions of Scripture today, because he wants to take God's Word and then give us a corrupt version of it. Well, God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ, who came on this earth, died on the cross, and was resurrected from the grave. And Satan is going to want to give us a corrupt version of that same story. Notice what he, what he does, verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. So at, to this point, the Antichrist has risen as a political leader. Because you've got to understand, there are two sides to the Antichrist. He will rule the world and there will be a one world government. There's a political side to him. But he will also be the god of a one world religion, a religious side to him. Up to this point, he's a political leader. He's, he's, he's guiding the world. He's risen up politically. But, at, but here is where he will transition from just political to religious. Because here's what happens to him. Notice verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. The Bible says he will be wounded to death at his head. Is it that absurd to think that a political leader could be shot in the head and assassinated? I mean, it happened to JFK. I mean, it ha Abraham Lincoln was shot and killed. Many political leaders get shot and killed. So this Antichrist, who's a political leader, will receive a wound to the head as it were wounded to death. But notice, here's the difference between him and JFK and him and Abraham Lincoln and him and, and Ronald Reagan when he got shot and all those things. Here's the difference. And his deadly wound was healed. Do you see that? And all the world wandered after the beast. So 
even before the abomination of desolation is set up, if you see a political leader who gets shot in the head and then resurrects from that, just, just go ahead and start packing your bags, okay? Because it's probably not going to be good. But he's imitating Christ. You see that? He gets assassinated. The deadly wound was healed. All the world wandered after the beast said, Whoa, what? This guy, he resurrected. And now here's where they transition to deity. Notice verse 4. And they worship the dragon, a satanic occultic society. They're worshiping Satan. And they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? And who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Again, a reference to three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him, notice this, to make war with the saints. That's, our, that's the persecution. That's the affliction. Who are the saints? Those are believers. It was given unto him to make war with the saints. And here's a question I have for the pre-tribulation crowd that says we're all going to get raptured up before the Antichrist even shows up. If all the saints get raptured out and we're all gone, and the only people left behind were unsaved people, where are all these saints that the Antichrist is going to persecute if we're all gone? Well, you know, Kirk Cameron and Nicolas Cage, they're going to convert and become Christians. Okay, right. Um, if there's nobody to te- preach them the gospel, how are they going to get saved? No, you can't get saved reading the Bible on your own. A carnal man cannot understand spiritual things. And, you know, you know well, they're going to watch an old video of T.D. Jakes. Well, the, here's the problem with T.D. Jakes. He's not saved, okay? He's a tongue-speaking Pentecostal that believes you can lose your salvation. So the, the truth is that the saints will be around and the Antichrist is going to make war with them. Look at verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. You say, why do you pick on T.D. Jakes? Because isn't that what Kirk Cameron, didn't he get saved watching T.D. Jakes in the movie? I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Look at verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose, name was, uh, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have ears to ear, let him hear. Verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall also go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now notice verse 11. And I beheld another beast. So here we have another, another beast. This beast is not the Antichrist. This is what's known who's known as the false prophet. This is a religious leader. Notice. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like unto a lamb. And he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him. But notice what he does. He causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. So this, this second beast shows up and he causes people to worship the first beast. Because remember, you have Christ, but then you, you, know, you have the Antichrist. Well, G, the real Christ had a man by the name of John the Baptist who came and kind of pointed people towards him. So here we have a false prophet pointing people to uh, the Antichrist, just imitating uh, the life of Christ. Look at verse 12. And he exercises all the powers of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he goeth and he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. So he's performing his miracles. He's causing fire to, uh, you know, come down from heaven uh, on the earth in the sight of men. 
and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth. Notice what he says to them, that they should make an image to the beast. Do you see that? So the false prophet says, hey, I have an idea. We ought to make an image. We ought to make an idol. We ought to make a statue about the beast or to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now notice what they do with this image, verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. So they make this image, and then he's able to give power to this image. So this image is able to talk or, you know, do things. Notice that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So notice they set up, they place, they have this it, this image, and I believe this image is the abomination of desolation. And they set up this image and then they make people worship the image and anyone who would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see these things, when you see this image, he says, flee into the mountains. Because he says, this is what's known as the great tribulation. Now notice what happens. They set up this image, and they make a law that you have to bow down and worship this image. Look at verse 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, that no man, and that no man might buy or sell, save, the word save means accept, he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, let him that understandeth count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. A score is 20, three score is 60, so it's six, six, six. So here's what they do. They set up an image. They say, this is God. This is, that that Jesus that they've been preaching about, he was false. That guy that died and resurrected three days later, those books were written hundreds of years later anyway, and it's not accurate. And that guy wasn't real. This guy right here, you know, he's God. He died and he resurrected and let's make an image to him. And they cause everyone to worship. Now look, people that don't believe anything are going to have no problem worshiping this image. But obviously, people who are truly saved aren't going to worship this image. So everyone that doesn't worship the image is put to death. And the only way that you can get the mark of the beast, the only way that you can get the mark in order to buy or sell uh, is to worship this beast, this, this image, this abomination. You have to worship the image to get the mark. And if you don't have the mark, the Bible says you cannot buy, you cannot sell. And we're not talking about one nation. We're not talking about the Soviet Union. We're not talking about communist China. We're talking about the entire world is controlled by this Antichrist and you can't walk in to a store and buy. You cannot sell. You cannot do anything if you do not have the mark on your right hand or on your forehead. The only way to get the mark is to worship the image. And Jesus says when you see that abomination of desolation, when they place it, when they set it up, when you see it, notice what he says in Matthew twenty four sixteen. If you go back to Matthew twenty four sixteen. He says, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. 
Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Do you see that? If you got endured to the end, in order to be saved, no, your flesh will be saved. It's talking about a physical salvation, not, not heaven, not hell. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. This is what's known as the tribulation, the great tribulation period. Go back to Revelation chapter 6. We, we gotta, I got to do this in 10 minutes. Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 12. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. Good night. Let's do, we'll just try to do this fast. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. The fifth seal was the persecution. The fifth seal was the Antichrist killing Christians, making war with the saints. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12, the Bible says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. As we've been studying the book of Isaiah, Isaiah really loves uh, this earthquake that God's going to bring when Jesus comes because it seems like he mentions it a lot. And there was a great earthquake. And I want you to notice these characteristics when the sixth seal is open. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, number one. And the moon became as blood, verse 13. And number three, the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as the fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Now I want you to notice how this matches Matthew 24. Keep your finger there in Revelation because we're coming right back to it. But go to Matthew 24. Look at verse 29. Matthew 24 and verse 29. In Revelation chapter 6, we had the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, the moon became as blood, the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Notice how that matches Jesus' description in Matthew 24 verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall, number one, the sun be darkened, and the, number two, moon shall not give her light, and, number three, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Again, a reference to that shaking. Isaiah tells us the heavens will be shaken, and the earth shall be shaken, and nothing will be left standing as Jesus comes back to this earth. Now, I want you to understand this. Go to Revelation chapter 7. We've got to do this fast. Revelation chapter 7. Look at verse 9. Okay? Now, we're going to skip down to verse 9. The, the verses before, verses 1 and 8, talking about the 144,000. Okay? Here's the whole thing about the 144,000. As we're going up, uh, they're coming down. The 144,000 are here to be during the wrath of God. They're not here during the tribulation time. They're here during the wrath of, of God. Let me just turn there. Revelation chapter... I'm not going to take the time to read it. But um, the 144,000 are on this earth. L look at verse 1 of Revelation chapter 7. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. For I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Now look, here's the difference between the wrath of God and the tribulation. The tribulation is all man-made. You know, these are things that are happening today. Persecution, earthquakes, uh, famines, all those things we have right now. 
the wrath of God is a supernatural destroying of the earth. And we'll talk about it in a second. But this is right. God is getting ready to begin to hurt the earth. Notice uh, verse uh, 16 of of chapter 6. And he said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. Do you see that? And who shall be able to stand? So when did the day of God's wrath come? When did it come? Present tense. It is come. It came as they were opening up that sixth seal is when the wrath of God is going to begin to be poured out. So before that, seals 1 through 5 are not the wrath of God. And then in chapter 7, he says, Hey, before you begin to hurt the earth, uh, nor the sea, nor any tree, look at verse 2. Uh, and, I, and I saw another angel ascending from the east. Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. So notice, it is given to these angels to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So they're sealing the 144,000 so that they know who not to hurt. Because the 144,000 are going to be on earth while God is pouring out His wrath. We go up, they come down. The exact opposite of what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that the 144,000 go up and we stay down. <laughs> they say the 144,000 go to heaven and everybody stays on earth. And, and they have it exactly opposite because the Bible says that we go to heaven and they come down to the earth. But I'll skip the, the description of the 144,000. But look at verse 9. Notice what happens when the sixth seal is open. When the, when the sun is darkened, the moon doesn't give her light, the stars far from heaven, verse 9. And they, after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude. Notice this great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. You know what I love about our church? It's going to be like heaven. You know, I, I've, I, I grew up going to churches where, like, everybody was, like, the same, you know, the same uh, ethnic, you know, the same culture. It's like, and, and today, you know, they have Chinese church. Only Chinese people go. Black church. Only black people go there. Hispanic church. Only Hispanic people go there. You know, uh, but the Bible says that when you get to heaven, there's going to be all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. That's what I love. Our church is just like, there's just everything. I mean, you know, Hispanic, Slavic, anything you think of, um, we have it all here. Because that's what heaven's going to be like. That's why we ought to be trying to reach the whole world. He says, after this, verse 9, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and uh, palms in their hands. What is that? That's the rapture. A great multitude no man could number all of a sudden shows up in heaven. And look, if that's not the rapture, then show me where the rapture is in the, in the book of Revelation. Because if that's not the rapture, then the book of Revelation doesn't have the rapture. And, you know, it would be kind of silly of God to give us a book explaining us to us the events of the apocalypse and the events of end times and to leave out the number one most significant event of, of end times, which is the rapturing up of believers. And you don't have it in before Revelation 6. People try to say, uh, Revelation 4, 1, John was caught up. That's one man, he's caught up in spirit. I, I mean, there's no way that's the rapture. The rapture is a physical, 
your, your, the Bible says our corruptible becomes incorrupted and our mortal becomes immortal and your body is resurrected. So it's not one man being caught up in the spirit. But look at, let's skip down to verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? So this, this elder is asking John, because all of a sudden there's all these people in heaven. A multitude that no man can number of all nations and all kindreds and all peoples and all tongues. And, and, they, and, and they just all show up. And he says, who are these people? He says, whence came they? The word whence means from where did they come from? That's the question. I was, my wife and I were at a, at a preaching, at a meeting uh, for pastors. And there was this guy preaching. And he's, he's pre-tribulation position. And he says, today there are people. And he's, re- he's preaching out of Revelation chapter 7. He says, today there are people who believe that they're going to go through a tribulation. And he says, well, you go ahead and stay here for the tribulation, buddy. But I'm going up with Jesus. And everybody laughs. Ha, 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 yeah, let them stay. You know, to make, uh, trying to act like we're foolish or something because we don't know the Bible. And he's preaching Revelation chapter 7. And he starts going through the passage. And he gets to verse 13 and 14. He says, And one of these elders answered and said unto them, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence come they? Now keep in mind, he just got done saying in his introduction, I'm not going to stay for the tribulation. You can stay if you want. And he's talking about, he's talking about like, this is, you know, all the saints being caught up in verse 14. And he's, and he's reading it. And he goes, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which are come out of great. And he stops. And I think it just like clicked for the first time because he, he just stops and goes, great tribulation. And he's doing, this, he's doing this in front of like thousands of people. And he just got done making fun of people who believe that believers come out of great tribulation. He just read the verse. And this is what he said. And this is how brainwashed they are. This is what he said. He said, well, even though it says they came out of great tribulation, I have enough faith to believe that God's not going to let us go through it. Amen. Amen. I'm thinking to myself, these guys are idiots. <laughs> guys have no clue what they're saying. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, Notice where they came from. These are they which came out of great tribulation. You can stick around, buddy, but I'm going up with Jesus. Look, they came out of tribulation. Well, God won't pour out his wrath. Where have we talked about the wrath of God? This is the Antichrist persecuting believers. There are people being persecuted right now. There are believers being put to death right now. This is not God pouring out His wrath. These are natural things. We have earthquakes today. We have famines today. We have persecution today. These are normal things that are going to happen to believers. And God is going to bring us out of great tribulation and have washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Go back to Matthew 24, look at verse 30. I'm sorry, I know this is it. Whenever you preach about end times, it just takes longer than, than a normal sermon. But let me just, let me just give you just few more passages and then we'll be done, okay? Matthew 24, verse 30. The, the only pie I like is a chocolate pie and it's served cold anyway, so it works out for me. Matthew 24, look at verse 30. Matthew 24, 30. Look what he says. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect. The elect are believers. That's what the Bible says. Study the word elect throughout the New Testament. You'll see that it's believers. It's not Israel. It's not Jews. It's people that believe on Christ. From the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, go with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's just do this really fast, and we'll be done, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the number one, the key 
passage, the rapture, most clearly stated in the Bible. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Verse number 15. Now, here's what you got to understand. It doesn't matter what position you take. Post-trib, pre-trib, no-trib, whatever you think, you know. Everyone agrees. There's no one who disagrees. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, are the rapture. Notice verse 16. I want you to notice, and I don't know if I told you to keep your place in Matthew 24, but that's, that's our text. If you can get back to Matthew, I, I want you to compare these two. Because people say, Matthew 24 is not the rapture. I want you to notice it has the exact same characteristics. Notice verse number 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So notice, the first characteristic of the rapture is the trump of God. Notice Matthew 24 and verse 31. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Do you see that? So, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, no one disagrees. This is the rapture. What does Paul say will happen at the rapture? The trump of God. The trumpet of God is going to sound. What does Matthew 24.31 say? Hey, there was a sound of a trumpet. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Look, uh, look at verse 16 again. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, notice this, shall be caught up together with them. So we're going to be caught up together with them. Notice Matthew 24, 31. Matthew 24, 31. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect. God is going to send angels out. They're going to swoop up the uh, individuals that are saved, the elect, and we're going to be caught up together with them. Notice, it's the same event. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. In the clouds. You see that? We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds. Go back to Matthew 24. Look at verse 30. Matthew 24, verse 30. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall, and, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. You see that? So, 1 Thessalonians 4, no one disagrees. This is the rapture. What do we have? We have the trump of God. We have people being caught up together in the clouds. What do we have Matthew 24? We have the trump of God. We have people being gathered together in the clouds. It's the rapture. You can't get away from it. Now here's what you guys are saying. Here's what people say. Oh, you guys aren't educated. Matthew 24 is not about the rapture. It's about the second coming. The, the rapture, it's secret. The rapture, and by the way, let me, let me just go back to 1 Thessalonians 4.15 because no one argues that one. Even the pre-tribbers say that's the rapture. It says there's a trump of God. Okay, let me ask you this. Where's the trump of God in the Left Behind movie? Where's the, you, you, you sound a trumpet to get people's attention. That's what the purpose of a trumpet is in, in scripture and just in general. Where, you know, there, there's no, the Bible doesn't say that people are going to disappear and everybody's going to be wondering and saying, was it aliens? You know, is it the Russians? You know, what happened? Look, there's going to be a trumpet. The sun's going to turn black. The moon's going to turn to blood. The stars are going to fall. People are going to take notice of these things. A trumpet is going to sound and angels are going to swoop in and pick up believers. People are going to, they're not going to be wondering, what happened? Where did Kirk Cameron go? Wait, no, he, was, he wasn't saved, right? Where did Nicolas Cage go? I don't think he was saved, in real life at least. You know, where, where did all these people go? Nobody's going to be wondering that. They're going to know exactly where they went. They're going to be watching these angels swooping them up, taking them up in the trumpet. 
And he shall gather together as a light from the four winds of heaven, from one end of heaven to the other. And, and people, people say this. Go back. To, go, keep your finger in Matthew 24. But go back first. Thessalonians. Let me just show you this. What we done. People say, that's not the, the rapture. See, the rapture is not the coming of Christ. The rapture, Jesus is going to meet them in the air. But then later he's going to come and that's the second coming. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter 4. No one disagrees. Even the pre-tribbers do not disagree. This is the rapture. Notice what God calls the rapture. Because you don't find the word rapture in the Bible. That's just the word we use. First Thessalonians 4.15, the Bible says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So what did, what did Paul call the rapture? He called it the coming of the Lord. No, you're just, you're not educated because you never went to school and you don't understand that, that Matthew 24 is not about the rapture. You know, Matthew 24 is about the second coming. Amen. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's about the coming of the Lord. Just like Paul said. When the trumpet's going to sound and believers will be caught up together in the clouds. Now, let me just give you a couple thoughts as to why the pre-tribulation rapture is not true. Go back to Matthew 24, look at verse 23. We skipped these verses, but I wanted to go back to them just real quickly. Matthew 24, verse 23. People say, you guys are reading into it, the tribulation's not, it, the rapture already happens, these are people left afterwards. Notice what Jesus said when he was explaining to his disciples about the tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 23. Then if any man shall say unto you, now keep in mind, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, God in the flesh. Then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there shall also the eagles be gathered together. Here's the question I have for you. If the pre-tribulation rapture is true, and all of these events are taking place after the rapture, after Jesus has already raptured up his believers. Why is Jesus telling them, when these things are happening, and they're telling you, hey, behold, here is Christ. He's in the desert. He's in the secret chamber. He says, don't believe them. Why does he have to tell, if he's already came, why does he have to tell them, hey, don't believe people when they say that Jesus is coming? You understand what I'm saying? The fact that he's even telling them, hey, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, prove the fact that Christ hasn't came yet. Because he's saying, hey, they're going to tell you here's Christ, they're going to tell you he's in a secret chamber, they're going to tell you he's in the desert, they're going to tell you he's over here, they're going to tell you he's meeting, you know, uh, a group of people over here, but don't believe them. He says, because when Jesus comes back, verse 27, for as the lightning cometh out of the sea and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He says, well, look, when Jesus comes, when he comes for the elect, when he comes for believers, Everyone will know it. Everybody will see it. It'll be like when lightning lights up the entire sky. There will be no question about it. People say, well, that's the second coming. Yeah, that's the coming of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.15. This is the rapture. Now, here's what you got to understand. And people say, well, no, well, it's the wrath of God. Okay, I don't have time to go through it, but let me just say this. If study it out on your own. Revelation chapter 8, verse 11, because remember, Revelation chapter 6 was what? The tribulation. Revelation chapter 7 was what? The rapture. Remember, the great multitude showed up in heaven. Revelation chapters 8, verse 3, 11, you have the pouring out of God's wrath. Now, explain, to, you know, just think about this. How is this different? Are these things similar? Earthquakes, pestilences, 
famines and persecution. Okay, a pestilence is like Ebola, you know, it's like the swine flu. All right, those are all things we have today. Does that jive with this hail and fire mingled with blood coming down from heaven? Is that something we see regularly? I know we see hail, but do you see hail and fire mingled with blood coming down from heaven? Do, do we normally see a great mountain burning with fire is cast into the sea and turns the third part of the sea into blood? I mean, you always well, see things fall from heaven. Do they turn the sea into blood, though, is what I'm asking? Or a great, a great star from heaven falls from the sky? Or the third part of the sun or the moon or stars is darkened? Is this normal? Is this something we've seen? The bottomless pit is opened and locusts from hell that are like unto horses with crowns like gold on their heads, their faces of men, with hair of women, with teeth of lions and tails of scorpions. Is that normal? Is that natural? Is that something you saw at the zoo? The third part of men are killed by an army with horses that have heads like lions and tails like serpents. Here's the the point that I'm trying to make. When God begins to prod his wrath, it's going to be super natural. There's going to be creatures that we've never seen. There's going to be things that we've never seen. When God begins to destroy this earth, it's going to be like nothing we've ever seen, nothing that man could ever produce. Will we, we be here for that? Absolutely not. We get raptured in chapter 7. The wrath begins in 8. When the Bible says that God will not pour out his wrath on believers, I agree with that. I believe that. But the tribulation is not the wrath of God. The tribulation is things that are happening right now, and like a woman in travail, they're getting worse and worse and worse, and they're eventually going to climax at the abomination of desolation. And when enough Christians are killed, and that covenant of salt, which I don't have time to go into, is, is, is brought to the place where God is ready, and enough, there's, 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 the salt has been removed from the earth, God will begin to prod his wrath. He will remove the, those who are left, uh, th- those that are still on the earth, like Lot was, and he'll destroy the earth. Um, look at Matthew 24, verse 14. We're done right here. Matthew 24, verse 14. I apologize. It's just, when you preach on these subjects, it just takes longer. Matthew 24, verse 14. And the good thing is you don't have to go to work tomorrow. Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, then shall the end come. You ever wonder, well, why does God let us go through the tribulation? God, why does he let us go through the persecution? Why does he let... I'll tell you exactly why God lets us do it. Because we are too comfortable, and we are too lazy, and we are too just, you know, I've got a nice house, and I have a nice car, and I just can't be bothered. And God wants to make sure that before he gives up on this earth, because he is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And before he just gives up on this earth, he wants to just give it one last go. He wants to make sure that the gospel gets out there one last time. And he knows, he knows through history, he, know, he knows from the Bible, the best way to get Christians to preach the gospel is to persecute them. Amen. When you take away their, their you know, living and you take away their resources and you make them uncomfortable, I don't know why, but it's very clear in Scripture and it's very clear through history that when Christians are persecuted, those that are truly saved get serious about preaching the gospel. So you want to know why it's going to come? Because we're too lazy, because we don't want to do it, because we don't want to go out, because it's like pulling teeth trying to get people to go out soul winning. But one day, one day, we'll be motivated to do it. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then, 
shall the end come, is what the Bible says.